Welcome to The Fabric Podcast. As we dig into this dangerous book, the Bible. Yes, it's been dangerous in all the wrong ways over the years, but maybe, just maybe, it might be dangerous in a rich, challenging, hopeful kind of way in each of our lives too. My name's Chris Lillehei. I get to hang around Fabric a little bit, and every once in a while they give me a microphone and have me stand in front of you all, and I have a captive audience for like a half an hour or so. So today is your lucky day. We have been in the middle of a conversation topic called Dangerous Book, and it's talking about the Bible and what is the Bible and how do we wrestle with this idea of the Bible as a community that's trying to weave God's self and others together. And we talked about it as a dangerous book in kind of two different ways. So the first of which is the dangerous book is how it has been used dangerously to hurt other people. And I think we can all agree that that is definitely a part of the world in which we live in, and particularly the country that we live in, and the ways in which this, this Bible here has been used to hurt others. And then the other part is the dangerous book is if we really take this thing seriously, if we really lean in and try to live our lives aligned or related to this book, it can be dangerous. It can challenge our status quo. It can make us think of new ways of seeing the world and other people that kind of um, shake things up a little bit, we'll say. So today is no different. We're going to be talking about uh, the book of Matthew, which is one of the books of the Bible that talks about uh, Jesus, and it's called one of the Gospels, and particularly a vignette in which it's called the Beatitudes, uh, which is uh, a list that we will we'll read through. But I want to start off, before we get to that, talking about the word blessing. So it's kind of one of those words that, as a culture, we've co-opted, we use in a lot of ways, but don't really talk about what it actually means. So we have, you know, when someone sneezes, what do you say? Bless you. Good. Uh, we also talk about kind of count your blessings or, oh, that child, that little baby there is such a blessing to us. Uh, the, the Southerners talk about bless your heart or bless their heart, which I think is, means a lot of different things depending on how you say it. So it's bless their heart. Uh, or, you know, bless their heart. You know, I guess you could say it in kind of a positive way. But so I want you to use your imaginations. If you have your Sunday paper, you can follow along using that. Or if you want to just think about it. But uh, there's a little box here and I want to give us just a little bit of time to think about what does the word blessing mean to you? What, what is a blessing? What, what do you think of? What do you ponder about when you hear that, that word? I'm going to give you about a little bit of time just to kind of jot down a few ideas or think through a few ideas. Does anybody have any thoughts 
something that comes up, a description of what a blessing is. If you don't understand, because I don't, and I've been working on this for quite a while now. So, what is a blessing? Yeah. An unexpected gift. I like that. So, bless your heart. How does that know? <laughs> yeah, John. Ooh, a gentle breeze of God's love. Always the poet. I appreciate that. One more. A gift given through grace. I love that. Uh, I love all of those, and I think they're going to, uh, we'll see how they fit in with the, the words from the Bible today. So, I'm going to read them out loud, uh, the passage of the Beatitudes. It's Matthew 5, uh, 5 through 12. And if you just kind of close your eyes and listen along. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, because your reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like the kind of blessings we were talking about earlier. Those are some hard situations. These group of passages have just kind of stuck with me, and I will even say kind of haunted me throughout my life. Uh, as a child, I grew up in a family that was pretty ideal in a lot of ways. I had a mom and a dad who were very invested. I had a loving family. I had... Uh, all the things that I could desire. And I remember reading these passages in high school and just having no idea what to do with them. They didn't make any sense to me. And so I kind of wanted to make them like this hypothetical, right? I wanted to uh, move them to a place in which they didn't have to challenge how I live my life or how I wanted to encounter other people in a lot of ways. Then after... Uh, college, I did a, a year of community service with, a, with an organization down in Kansas City, Missouri. We were able to serve people who um, had life pretty tough, uh, were represented quite a bit in these passages. They were the meek, the, the ones who mourn. And I remember every day I would go into work and I would encounter people and I would ask them how they were doing. And I was so used to kind of white upper middle class society in which the response was either busy or fine. 
And I remember asking those people day after day, kind of, how are you? And above anything else, I heard the word blessed. And it just kind of threw me off for a little bit here, right? Like, I came from this society in which we had everything we ever needed. Yeah, sure, life got hard sometimes, but for the most part, we had food on our table and we weren't worried about getting shot and we weren't in prison. And yet I talked to these folks who were worried about all of those things and their response was blessed. And it started to challenge. It started to really reshape how I saw society. And then as I, I've kind of continued on the path of being around and working with people from all sorts of different backgrounds, it's continued to adjust. And, and one of the, the aspects in which it's adjusted is that in a lot of ways, I feel like Jesus was observing the world around him. He was saying that people who really live into these values, live into these mindsets, there was a blessing there. And it continued to challenge who I am and how I experience the world. So I want to try this again. Uh, there's an old tradition in kind of traditional churches in which when the gospel was read, that everybody would stand and face the center. And the, the person reading the text would stand in the middle of the congregation. And somebody described this, I don't know how true it is, but it felt true, that in small towns often what would happen is that you would sit on the opposite side of the church from somebody that you hated. And so the whole idea was that you would have to look at them through the text that, they were, that was being read. Now, I'm not sure if that's true with fabric. I kind of hope it's not. But uh, I want you to envision, I'm going to read the text again. And I'm going to have you all stand up and face the center. And I want you to envision the real-world examples of what I'm reading today. People that have experienced these situations. We can say the gospel according to Matthew. That's how they would say that, right? Uh, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven. For they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way. You know, go ahead and get seated. 
my hope is that it changed a little bit of how you experienced that, that text. And, and that's where I kind of want to move, and, and this will be your first fill-in, so if you want to follow along. Uh, the Beatitudes are a reflection of the living Word of God. That seems kind of goofy to say out loud, right? It, the living Word, these are you know, black and white words on a piece of paper. But I found that as I've read this text kind of throughout my journey in life, that different verses, different parts of the Beatitudes have jumped out at me. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Today, I stand in front of you after yesterday I was at a memorial service for Children's Hospital that recognized over 60 children who have died in the last three years. And I was surrounded by families whose child has died. (laughs) And I was trying to read, blessed are those who mourn? How is that possible? How is it that someone who's had a child die, how are they blessed? (laughs) And yet, I had some of the most incredible interactions and conversations yesterday. Somehow, in the midst of that mourning, in the midst of that hurt, in that pain, there was comfort there. That these parents, mostly, and family members were joined by each other, were woven into the fabric of existence together, and were reminded that they are not alone. That in the midst of that darkness, there's a promise there. So I think this, this living word of God, what I want to get at there is, is that it breathes, it grows, it challenges, it, it can stick out to you as you kind of look through it. There, there's wisdom here that's greater and deeper than I could really ever ask or imagine. And each time I read it, I get exposed and released to something different, to something more to understand. That and these live in us. As we kind of sit with these passages, sit with this idea, they can grow, they can challenge within us. The cool thing and the hard thing about these Beatitudes, as you, as you sit with it, as you kind of reflect on it at the top of your Sunday paper and, and read through them, is that they're courageous situations. They take something from us. They, they wrestle with us. They, they challenge us in ways that we wouldn't really expect. You can't rely on the security of your own accomplishments in these situations. You can't rely on the security of Uh, what you've developed around you or who you are or your position within society as you interact with each one of these beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. How does that, what if you're the CEO of the company? In what ways are you meek? And so they they live, they breathe, they grow. and, And these words, the beatitudes are promises, not platitudes. They're promises, not platitudes. 
Now, how I see the difference between these two is that platitudes are those words we say to people when we feel uncomfortable, that are trying to drag them out of those difficult situations, that say, we see you there mourning, and we want you to feel better, feel happy, so that I can feel better, can feel happy. We see the meek, and we want to just instill some sort of power within them, but it's kind of a fake power, takes nothing from me takes nothing to say that. Where promises are looking into the depths of that darkness and saying that there is, in fact, light. I don't know how. I'm not sure if it's going to solve it today or tomorrow or the next day, but I can promise you that there is light. Man, oh man, I know I can feel the difference when I'm in the midst of that darkness and someone gives me a promise, it feels good. On the contrary, when I'm in the midst of that darkness, when I am hurting and in pain and someone tries to give me a platitude, oh, you're, you're made for this stuff, Chris. Oh, it will get over it quickly. Oh, you'll be just fine. Oh, you'll realize that this will all turn out for the better in the long run. Ugh. Right? It just feels gross. And so I think that these words, these sayings, these observations about the world that we live in are promises that speak truth in the darkness, not platitudes that try to band-aid over the pain and the hurt that we're feeling. Now, I will say something that each of these promises feel really good in a vacuum, feel really good for somebody else, but I don't think I want to be blessed quite in this way. I'm not feeling like I really want to feel meek, right? You know, when I'm in an argument with my spouse or with my coworker or my boss, you know, I would bless them to be the peacemaker, right? But I don't really want to be, I want to be, show them that I'm right, When we have gun violence that just reeks across our nation, like it did again yesterday, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I'm not feeling very satisfied. So all of these can feel really good and uplifting in a vacuum, and we can want it for other people, and, but when we really lean into these they're hard. So one of the gifts that, that we're giving here throughout the Bible, and I, I think particularly in these verses, are the, the Beatitudes are a gift of language. They're kind of a scaffolding in which we can hold some of these truths that we encounter within the world. Without language, it's hard for me to even understand how I'm feeling or experiencing the world around me. But I've found that once I have the right words, once I have language to describe my own situation, once I have kind of that as a container to, to express and to be received by other people, it allows me a space. I feel like I can then be in this world. Throughout the Bible, there's this description 
of the kingdom of heaven. And the Beatitudes are one of the descriptions of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is kind of hard to understand in, in one of those ways in which language can be challenging, right? So I don't know about you, but it, it kind of brings up ideas of like Lord of the Rings or the monarchy that we just watched the coronation of some king that felt really weird and I'm not really sure how to interact with it and my mother-in-law who's Canadian really enjoys it so then I really don't know how to interact with it. Uh, she's here so I just figured I'd smile at her while I did that. I'll pay for that later, don't worry. Uh, but once again, it's a, it's a different it's a difficult, challenging thing to understand as modern-day Americans. And in many ways, it's been used in the dangerous, bad side of ways. It's been used as an exclusionary term. You're either out or you're in. I have the power because I'm part of the kingdom of God, and you, mere mortals, are outside of that power. It can feel really gross and exclusive. And yet, when we read and lean into these verses of the Beatitudes, we can see the ways in which they're all about inclusivity. They're all about looking at the ways in which the marginalized can be invited in. They're about love and weaving and care and honesty. The Beatitudes, this, this group of verses, is the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount which is, uh, in Matthew, kind of Jesus' first time talking to people, kind of presenting what he wants to do on this world, what he observes and sees. And it's a really strange way to start this. And if you can imagine, he had a crowd of people following him. And as he sits down to talk to this crowd... You know, you imagine what a leader would say in these situations of like, you all are amazing and strong and you're not going to have any hardships. And if you follow me, this kingdom of God will be easy and worth it. And then he starts with these. He starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. I mean, if you can imagine sitting on the side of that, that mountain and you're, you're hearing about this guy walking around and that's, he's drawing a crowd and it seems important and it seems helpful and then he starts with those verses, it would catch you off guard. And yet, what I see Jesus doing here is he's letting us know what his observation of the world around us is. The kingdom of God is not some outside thing that we're going to get to someday. It's not uh, necessarily like a heaven that when we die, we're going to go to. Instead, what he's saying is, as I observe the world around us, there is incredible beauty. And yes, there is pain and there is hurt and there is meekness and there is mourning and there is righteousness that is not coming to fruition. And yet, I'm observing something different here. There's something that's challenging this way of thinking. You 
in my observations, those of us that are able to lean into this long-haul decision-making of the Beatitudes, that are willing to reject kind of that short-term satisfaction, there's something there. There's a joy and groundedness with those people that is so beautifully to experience. The Beatitudes, they in fact put words to the truth you already know. Now this isn't a truth necessarily that you'll hear on a commercial on a Sunday afternoon as you're watching football of like, the meek will inherit a ram or, you know, if you buy an apple, you'll, you'll mourn nicely or something like that. I'm terrible at thinking of advertisements, but, so I apologize. But it definitely isn't those kind of truths. But I challenge you to think about those that have truly embraced these ideas, that truly have sat in the morning of losing somebody you love. And has processed that, has seen the dark night of the soul and has ended up on the other side. My hunch is those are the type of people that you feel super attracted to, super want to spend time with. That they are grounded and joyful in ways in which you could never ask or imagine. One of the guys that I got to know down in Kansas City when I was doing my year of community service. He, he had spent 40 years in prison. And I met him on the day he was released. Somehow they said that me as a 22-year-old dude was supposed to like be his mentor, which I still don't quite understand. I guess I knew how to use a cell phone and he had no idea what even a cell phone was. <laughs> he was telling me that he tried to go to the grocery store and the like automatic doors he just stood out in front of because he couldn't understand like, that they worked, which blew my mind. And there was a deep joy to him. There was something to him that was just fun to be around. And it wasn't because he ignored the pain and the hurt of being in prison for 40 years or the, the screw-ups that he had made along the way to get himself in that situation. It was, in fact, in the midst of that that he had this joy and groundedness. So it's in the same way challenges our idea of the truth of this world, that it's contrary to that surface level American dream. If I, as long as I'm not hurting, then I'm powerful and good and mighty. And it, it contradicts that. And yet there's a truth that's there that's not beyond our capacity to know, but in the depths of our capacity to know. It's not beyond anything that we can imagine. It's within us, in the depths of it. The, the Beatitudes, one of the biggest beauties of them is that they're an invitation and not a command. Like so many truths of this world and the Bible, real, authentic truths, they're not about commanding people. They're about inviting people in. I think that's the, the key ethos of our community, right? It's not a command to say that we have to follow a certain belief system or a certain set of rules or a certain be in or out, saved or unsaved, however you want to talk about that language. 
It's an invitation to something bigger and greater. It's an invitation to say, you are welcome here. It's an invitation to say, even when you are mourning, there is comfort. Even when you feel meek, there is power. Not as something cheap to tear you out of it. It's to say, we promise that we will be here with you. You are not alone. You are welcome. And that's true beauty. That's a community that I want to be a part of. That's a truth that I can sit with. That's a theology that I can go to a memorial service for 60 kids that died yesterday and still feel like I can show up today authentically who I am. I'm going to tell you something that's pretty unique. Jesus could have taken this opportunity, right? To, to, he was surrounded by a huge crowd. He could have pretended like all was going to be good. He could have boosted everybody's ego up. He could have made it all about himself and worship me and love on me, but instead he didn't. Instead he leans into those that are forgotten by society. He empowers those on the fringes. He says, you sitting here today are worth it, no matter what you've been through. These blessings can can grow and show and, and maybe our truths that are God, the breeze of God in our lives. And yet, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And we need a community to surround us and remind us of those promises. Thanks for listening. We hope these conversations are helpful and connective. You can find out more about Fabric at fabricmpls.com. There you can find notes from previous conversations and other resources for deepening your relationships with the threads of yourself, others, and that third strand we often call God. You can also find ways of connecting to a group, whether you're in the Twin Cities or not. You can join in supporting this community financially too. It's through the generous giving of people like you that Fabric is sustained. Again, that's fabricmpls.com. Thanks for being Fabric in your unique